0: Hello, and welcome to Screaming in the Cloud, with your host, cloud economist Corey Quinn. This weekly show features conversations with people doing interesting work in the world of cloud, thoughtful commentary on the state of the technical world, and ridiculous titles for which
1: Corey refuses to apologize. This is
0: Screaming in the Cloud. Welcome to Screaming in the Cloud. I'm Corey Quinn. I'm joined this week by Adam Seligman, the VP of Developer Relationships at Google the VP of Developer Relations at Google. He's formerly at Salesforce, and before that, he was doing DevRel at Microsoft for a long time. Welcome to the show, Adam. Good morning. So let's dive right in here. What is Developer Relations
1: at Google about? So you know, we build platforms for developers at Google, and we love it when developers are happy. So there's a whole team of people here that wakes up every day and makes sure developers have great outcomes with our services, products, And also make sure we're listening to them and bring all that feedback back into Google.
0: So it's simultaneously an outbound role as well as being the, I guess, ears for the customer as well as just the voice?
1: Yeah, that's super important. It doesn't do us any good to build developer products that developers don't love. So this whole team is kind of optimized around sitting really close, working closely with product management and engineering. And uh, bringing back all those lessons and insights and helping make the products great. And then we do spend a lot of time out all over the world talking and connecting with developer communities and showing the stuff we're working on and writing open source. But um, it's not an outbound job. It's a developer relations job.
0: So a large part of developer relations, as per people who are very active in that space, comes down to, I guess, storytelling, for lack of a better term. What do you find is the part of the Google story right now that really resonates with the developer community?
1: Google's got a lot of products and services used by developers, right? Like everything from Android and Chrome developer tools, um, you know, the V8 library inside Node.js comes from Google or started from Google open source. Um, and then up in the cloud, you know, things like Kubernetes and Knative and TensorFlow, all these like hot emerging technologies, um, so so a lot of what we do is make sure we've got great technologies available to developers. We like to sort of tackle everything in kind of an open source way. And, uh, you know, ship it, get feedback, iterate, build communities. That's kind of the heart of it.
0: So a story that's really seeming to resonate lately that... It goes beyond Google, although it didn't start off that way, is I guess the tale of Kubernetes, where it's, in a very short period of time, gone from this open source project that folks from Google really spearheaded, and from there turned into, I guess, something that is sweeping an industry. We're seeing evolutions of this coming out of large enterprises, we're seeing small startups working on this, we're seeing a host of consulting and technology providers in this space, how does Google view Kubernetes today?
1: Well, I think the tale of Kubernetes to be a pretty cool, like 12 part, you know, like uh, Viking miniseries on Netflix or something. But um, I don't know if it's that dramatic. I'm relatively new to Google, but I've learned a lot about sort of the history of how we got our platforms and how we built our platforms internally. And containerization and global scale was something we, we needed. And so, the, see the rise of the containerization technology inside. Linux kernel, with great companies like Docker, Um, I think there was opportunity for Google to kind of share some of this container management technology and philosophy out with the world. And um, it's taken a couple of years. Like, we're still kind of at the beginning of this story, right? You know, the, the journey we're on to containerization, I think from what we've learned, what we're seeing from the customers and from developers out in the market is... It's not just about packaging the app, right? It's how do fleets of things run at scale, how do teams ship code to production and route traffic to it. It's, it's, It's kind of the end of the story is going to look very different than the beginning of the story, I think.
0: And I think a lot of that story is still being written. I mean, right now, you can walk into a room with a straight face and tell people that Kubernetes is named after the Greek god of spending money on cloud services. And most people still don't have enough background on the service to question that. It's it's an interesting area. And we just saw at Google Next that I believe K Native is how it's pronounced. Uh, we're effectively being able to deploy Kubernetes workloads back to on-prem. Am I misunderstanding how that works?
1: Yeah, there's kind of two main announcements at, at at Google Next. Uh the first is K Native and it's this journey towards lighter weight serverless based applications. Small lightweight applications it can be packaged up, deployed on top of a container infrastructure um an eventing model so you can fire them off events, kind of a nice elegant way. And I I think the long story arc is we're seeing everything I was kind of thinking if I had a tagline at Google, it's like we we run it all big to, big to small. <laughs> and Knative is about, you know, in some ways the small stuff working really nicely in that Kubernetes-based substrate world. Um, the second thing that we're seeing with customers and, and startups and developer teams and ops teams is a lot of Kubernetes running on-premise. You know, people have infrastructure and they want to modernize it. They want to manage it with sort of modern DevOps practices. Kubernetes is open source to so let them do that. But then once they've got that substrate running, you know, they want to run apps that sort of span across these worlds. And so we show this commercial product, GKE, uh, on-prem, right? Sort of a hybrid model of our GKE management service managing apps across both cloud and on-premise Kubernetes clusters. And that's a neat new capability, I think, I think a lot of customers will get excited about.
0: I would agree. Uh, That really came to my notice when employees of a large competitor, who I need not name at the moment, and I'd like to point out these are my words, not yours, uh, were more or less mocking Google for the idea of bringing GKE on-prem. I, I find that to be a little unfair in the context of, at first, you can tease a large provider for not meeting their customers where they are, but then when they do it, you mock them for going in that particular direction. It, it really feels like, to some extent whatever you do is going to upset some contingent of people on the internet. And you've almost hit a point at Google where you can't win.
1: I, I think that it's, you know, vendors play marketing games or they poke each other. And I, I think we're going to mostly sit out of that. Um, we have a lot of experience now working with large banks, mega retailers, lots of different kinds of companies, and they're running a mix. You know, they have infrastructure. It's not going to go away. You know, like we're all in in the cloud. That's that's a, a Google point of view for sure. But if we could use open source and provide services that customers can use, kind of on prem, to make their infrastructure better today, why not help them on that on that journey? And so this is why we do open source, right? Like a lot of this innovation, we don't we don't want it locked up in any one particular cloud provider. So I don't know. The mocker's going to mock, I guess maybe is a good way to say it. But um, containers going to contain <laughs> containers are going to grow
0: from here in the cheap seats it's always easier to throw scorn and cynicism at people rather than it is to be supportive of something because if you heaven forbid say something nice about the wrong technology that doesn't win well what might happen from there well in reality nothing but it doesn't always feel that way in the moment one thing that does strike me as innovative that I wish some of your competitors would copy is that When I log into the GCP console, there are two features that are absolutely revolutionary from a customer point of view. The first is anything that I spin up, I can terminate all billable resources assigned to that project. So I'm not left with a 20-cent bill in perpetuity for the rest of my life. And the second is when I click around and build something in the console... There's a tab at the bottom that says, oh, here's how you can build what you just built by hand programmatically if you'd like to. And those two things, I I get that they're minor features, but from a usability perspective to someone new to the platform, that is transformative. There isn't anything like that in other providers and it also gets away from the idea that you have to be conversant with 12 different services that are only tangentially related to the thing you're trying to build before you can get somewhere productive. What is the strategy that goes into GCP's console development?
1: The console's been a really neat kind of experience for me getting into working at Google and, and using the product, and understand how we build things. And I you know, I think you'll see all the different cloud, top cloud providers kind of evolve their point of view and the services they want to be great at and sort of their like company DNA starts showing through at the developer experience surface area. We're building a great console, I think, with GCP so that customers can have great experiences and developers have great experience. It's pretty easy to navigate, things are organized well. We take a lot of pride put a lot of hard work in our documentation and make sure it's all linked really effectively into the console experience. You know, some people like CLI, that's totally fine. They want to script and automate. We make everything accessible that way also. Things aren't exclusive, either the web view or the CLI view. But I think you're going to see increasing intention and design in that console experience. You know, a lot of thoughtfulness around um, billing, a lot of thoughtfulness in how services are, grouped together, services are grouped together. We have tutorials embedded in there, so you can sort of get started and go learn. Um I work personally, I spent some time with our Vision APIs over the weekend, and it was a pretty delightful experience. You know, to to use um, AI resources in the cloud are pretty computationally intensive, and so you need to go, you know, provision your account to go use those services. And I had a good experience with it, so I was feeling good about the the teams and the doc teams and all the hard work we put in to make those things easy to use. This is going to be an investment for us, so we're working on the next version of the console right now, iterations and improvements to the console. And um, I'm really excited about where the team is taking it. And and I'll say to your readers, if you haven't kicked the tires in the GCB console, check it out. It'll it'll surprise you. I think all the consoles from the different vendors look different, but I think what we've done is uh, we'll really delight some some developers.
0: I can absolutely echo that, uh, given the fact that I'm not much of a developer myself. Uh, To that end... A few years back, I went through a Google interview series, and it turns out that Google has a hiring bar that is set at least at the level of, should be able to write code. And if you can't write code, like me most days, it turns out you generally don't get hired. So we wind up going out into the world and writing code at other lesser places badly. The challenge with that, of course, is I then build an application that's frankly, by Google's standards, terrible. It takes in none of the Google system design principles into account. It starts entirely with me writing this ridiculous monolith. It's something that doesn't wind up uh, falling into any of the traditional 12-factor app-style development model. So I, I've written this crappy thing that's architecturally fragile. And then I try to run it on GCP. How well these days is Google at... Addressing the needs of a workload that is about as on Google as it's possible to get.
1: Everything about engineering is about design goals and trade offs and success metrics, right? There's not one right way to write software, and not every application is going to have a billion users. So I think this is a big part of the story arc from Google building a great cloud platform has been not just to hit the sort of hyperscale kind of requirements and you know global footprint kind of requirements, but really supporting every developer. I think we're on a, a good path for that. It's definitely in the mindset. If you read our documentation, if you try our console, if you see our getting started, you'll see. You can stand up a relatively monolithic PHP app and get it up and running. You can write a little Node.js service, uses AI like I did over the weekend. All those doors are open for you for every kind of developer. Um, and And how we hire and how we think about the core software engineers we put on staff is different how we think about supporting every developer out there in the universe, and how she's gonna write apps and learn our technology and try new things so i I think um I think it's part of the long story arc, like I don't think it's solved overnight, but absolutely Google wants to be welcoming to developers of every single background and and meet them where they are.
0: It's a very hard problem to solve, uh specifically because. You have an entire world of industry out there where the constraints around what they build don't look anything like any application Google would build internally or would consider building internally. Writing software in COBOL that runs traffic lights or displays ATM balances globally is very different than building a world-spanning search engine or a highly available email service. And... At times, it seems almost like people who work in those, I guess, ancient and regulated industries sometimes feel that there's a sense of, I don't want to say condescension because it's too strong, but a sense of being left behind by all of the major providers in this space just from a perspective of not being able to build something that comports to to anything that looks cloudy in those constrained regulated environments. How do you find that bringing those people into the conversation generally plays out?
1: I think there's a little bit of a maybe a different conceptions of how software is built out there in the world. I think there's a conception that Google and similar companies build hyperscale, read centric, user partitioned apps like mail. And don't build things like globally consistent data driven apps like banks. Um and I think there's also a conception that, you know, software engineers at the top internet companies just like are like, you know, do code jujitsu and just write amazing things instantly. And I think that's a little of a misconception too, and I, I would like to maybe address both of those. I'm gonna do the second one first. Kind of the interesting lesson I've learned, I I, I worked at Heroku for a while, actually ran Heroku for a little while. Um uh, Adam Wiggins wrote the 12-factor application. There's a lot of, like, ethos at Roku from, I don't know, a decade ago, the early days. And it was about being opinionated. You know, 12-factors is about an opinion of how apps ought to be architected. Similarly, at Google, we're surprisingly opinionated for a lot of things, so how we uh, help our internal engineers build things. Um, and so, actually, I think a lot of the, the what a regular developer faces out in the world trying to build an application is actually a lot of choice. You know, there, there are not a lot of guidelines on how to go build things. Like, what library should you use? What framework should you use? What should your data to your architecture be? How should you man, manage partitioning and scale out and, you know, operations? And, like, it's it's just a world of choices, and it's maybe, like, overwhelming set of choices. One of the things that's kind of neat about the sort of container approach is, was something Google did internally, which was just make that stuff really easy for developers. They didn't have to worry about it. They could scale a workload out, it would load balance traffic against it, it would attach to data services that were scalable data services. And so it was kind of about less choice. So I think that developers should always have the choice to use whatever they want. I think if you can take some of the cognitive and operating load of some of this complexity away and and give developers the option to use, like, happy paths that are well-paved and work really well, I think that could be a a wonderful thing. and the second thing is the kind of applications, probably all the cloud providers are seeing this, but we're seeing, like, banks run core workloads on Google Now. We're seeing retailers run core workloads on Google Now. We are shipping databases like Spanner that are not, a, not only kind of neat, globally consistent, and, and scale elastically and read, but also accept distributed writes, which is, like, a really neat capability. We, we had to put atomic clocks in the data centers and, you know, private fiber networking to make this all work. But the end result is the user doesn't have to worry so much about high-scale relational databases spanning across the world, that card consistency problems are mostly taken care of for them. So we want to do the engineering work and build this great cloud so developers can do whatever they want, but also take advantages of services that just go and work and simplify that part of the equation for them. Another example of that is ML, right? Right. we did TensorFlow. We did open source. You can do anything you want and run it anywhere. But at the other end of the spectrum, we have AutoML, where you can throw a bucket of images at it, and the computer, the the cloud, will automatically create a model for you and provide it back as a REST service. So I think um, developers should have lots of choice, but I think if we could also provide a world where, for many of these use cases, we can make it simpler, I think that's going to be incredibly powerful and kind of liberating for developers.
0: I think that one of the... Easy things to forget is that Google is at this stage a very, very large company. And I think for some people, they're still sort of stuck in the early 2000s where Google was much smaller. But it was in some ways more focused with respect to offering fewer products. And it also tends to lead down paths where people's understanding of Google has not evolved or kept pace with Google itself. In many ways, you still wind up with people living in the past when Google had less than 2,000 engineers and not tens of thousands of engineers. And that, in many ways, seems to be, I guess, an area where, at least personally, I still struggle to think of these giant companies as more than five or six people with ultimate decision-making authority. To that end, you've been at Google for approximately eight months now. Have you made any progress on determining the identity of the person who's responsible for killing Google Reader? <laughs> uh, we're waiting on a very blameful postmortem here.
1: Yeah, I think the postmortem needs to be written on that. It's kind of funny how uh, um, one application, application that I loved and cherished, was uh, uh, sort of disappeared from the internet. Although I like the Feedly product, that kind of I think picked up the reins. I imported everything there. Um, oh, very I definitely much so. think you know the enterprise customers the And I think even developers expect kind of a a different level of trust in the provider than maybe just some experimental consumer app, you know. And I think Google has been getting its head around that for the last, I don't know, 10 years of doing Google Google Cloud. Um, Google is definitely on a journey to, like, get the enterprise and get these sort of long-term support and reliability and sort of like all that, like, enterprise interface stuff that companies kind of expect. It's, it's pretty fun to see the rapid growth of cloud here. But I think you got to go out and earn it every day, you know. And, um, and I don't think it's as simple as what products or services you offer. It's also like the support and the high-quality documentation and all that company interface stuff you have to provide, right, the sales and support and customer engineers. Um, we're doing a lot to do things like teaching our customers AI, with a sort of like a co AI model with our customers. We're doing it around SRE. Um, I think you had Liz on talking about SRE and we're doing a lot of work with customers to sort of um, talk about our point of view on SRE and help adapt it and um, help the world kind of embrace these kind of operating models. So yeah, we're, we're on a journey, you know, I think the company has gotten really big, but, and all that we have to stay really close with developers and, you know, customers and startups and stuff and, and uh, connect with them in a way that makes sense.
0: To that end, there's also, I guess, a natural confusion where users see the name Google and there isn't a internal disambiguation for them of consumer facing service like Reader and enterprise facing service such as GKE. It seems from the outside that as a result that there's more of a focus at Google on developing new and exciting things than on supporting what's already been released. And when I talk to my friends at Google internally, I don't get that sense at all. But that's something that's difficult to, I guess, it's a difficult message to permeate out into the rest of the industry. Can you speak to that perception?
1: By all, industry is kind of on a treadmill of chasing the shiny things right now. I think, you know, when I look at the stats of sort of the rise of container use on GKE, like this industry is on a march to containerization. When I look at the consumption of our AI services, the industry is seeing incredible growth of AI services, programming with data across the whole industry. So I think, I think there's a lot of noise out there and, there, you know, marketers going to market um, and talk about new stuff. Ultimately, what matters is the services get used and developers have great outcomes and we're listening to them to make those things better. You know, like we can't ship a client library and call it done. It's got to be idiomatic. We can't just have functions. We need to support Go and Cloud Functions, right? We're bracing to go do that. Um, so there's there's definitely like some excitement when you can do breakthrough technology, but I think you got to follow through and make it real and make it robust and make it high quality and help. Ensure people have great outcomes with it.
0: What do you think right now that the industry is getting wrong in its understanding or perception of GCP?
1: I thought you were going to ask me a different question. Is like, what is the industry doing wrong overall? I actually want to tackle that for a second. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, absolutely. Well, to be fair. Every conference where there's uh, someone from a large tech company, without if you're not careful, it comes across as. And now a large tech company tells a bunch of small companies what they're doing wrong. Actually, I
1: I want to talk about the industry though, because I think the whole industry needs to be more welcoming and inclusive. And I think and and I'm going to like throw it down too that you know Google can fall into this and all this cutting edge stuff. We can all get wrapped up in a treadmill. So I'm, I'm kind of turning a spotlight back on us, but I I want to use it to tell a story of the industry. Please there's what 20, 22 million developers in the world. There's crushing demand for software and apps and innovation. We don't like robocallers. callers. We like to press buttons on our phones. Things come to us. We'd like people to have great jobs so they can work productively and not like stamp paper forms. Um, we like services to be automated and yet we're not increasing the number of developers in the world. We're stuck at 22 million. Um, And that's because we're not including everyone we can include. And there's the human side of that, and there's the technology side of that. And the technology side, you know, more and more investment and easier onboarding for all different kinds of developers and the kind of technology that makes sense for them, web, cloud, a function, a mobile app, drag and drop, low code, you know, writing app script um, in Google Docs, all those are great paths in and I'd like to see all the vendors make those paths really, really easy and welcoming. And then on the human side, I think there's an obligation for us to go out all over the world and interface developers and build these local communities and make them really welcoming, no matter which technology company you provide. I think Google falls into this trap. Like you, you said, what are we doing wrong? I'll give the Spanner example. We built maybe the most sophisticated database on the planet. But now I want to bring it to as many possible users as we possibly can and make it easy for them to consume. And the goal is not just to get them to use our service. The goal is to take this whole world of database complexity and start removing it for lots of use cases and simplify things for users so the developers can go build mega-scale applications instead of dealing with replication, sharding, and consistency issues. Right. So I think if we do this right in the long story arc, we're going to end with tens of millions more developers there with all different backgrounds from all different places and all different experiences. And I, I kind of want to see all the tech vendors and all the hyper clouds and all the library providers really think about this and work on this.
0: I think that you're going to see a lot of challenge in getting too far above the current number of developers for as long as you make developers continue to worry about things like replication delays, how to build out other things, uh, having to do with, I guess, the general housekeeping that they have to do today before they ever write one line of business logic or something that solves a problem. I think you're right about meeting people where they are. Uh, to that end, you mentioned that there's a event coming up, a DevFest. What is that exactly?
1: Oh, I'm super excited about this. So we have, Google has about 800 Google developer groups around the world. They're community organized, they get together every couple of weeks, they hold meetups, they do uh, study jams, and they a lot of different things to kind of build a local community and write code together. And the technology to really anchor on are web, Android around the world is you know a really big platform, and increasingly cloud. So we're holding a series of, the community is holding a series of events this fall called DevFest, and they're going to happen in 500 cities with on the order of 100,000 members of our community. We're also going to do like an online version for people that can't join in, in person. But I kind of hope everybody that's kind of interested in Google technology gets plugged in locally, not to talk to Google necessarily, but to get to hear from other community members and hear what they like and what they don't like. But, you know, our, the, the the Google developer group in Lagos, Nigeria, has over 1,000 members. And Femi, who runs that, says it's an absolutely thriving startup scene and developer community. So all, all over the world, there are these really kind of neat communities that are sort of formed around Google technologies, and we want to really support them. And DevFest this fall is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'll definitely make it a point to attend if it comes to a city near me.
1: Well, I don't know where you would be. that You know, like, that's a lot of cities. It's 500 cities, so uh, we'll, get you, we'll get you set up. But, you know, like, uh, community is super important to the health of platforms, and so we really want to support our communities as they put these things together.
0: Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your week to speak with me.
1: Yeah, Corey, this is a lot of fun. And I, I really like that the community is getting its hands around who Google is and who, we've, who we're who growing up to be and our aspirations. And uh, I think a lot of dialogue and a lot of listing is helping us make our products better and, and, uh, and the whole sort of user experience around Google and Google services even better.
0: I would agree. Thank you once again. Adam Seligman, VP of DevRel at Google. I'm Corey Quinn. And this is Screaming in the Cloud. This has been this week's episode of Screaming in the Cloud. You can also find more Corey at Screaminginthecloud.com or wherever fine snark is sold.